everyone, I'm Alexandra. This is part two of the programmed series where we will be discussing how to identify cults and ritual abuse. Now, due to censorship, I'm going to be abbreviating that as RA. If you have not done so already, please watch the previous parts of this series before continuing. Previously, we discussed the many avenues of social conditioning and how our need for validation and community can be used against us. We left off with exploring the six conversion techniques used by cults and organizations to gain converts and control thoughts. In this video, we will take a look at what constitutes a cult and some basic tactics cults use and a few examples of these techniques. Here, we are not talking about broad-scale mass programming. We're going to start looking into organized programming. As previously stated, you'll be hearing a mix of my voice and my friend's voice throughout this series. First, let's define terms. What is a cult? A group or movement exhibiting great or excessive devotion or dedication to some person, idea, or thing, and employing unethical manipulation or coercive techniques of persuasion and control, isolation from former friends and family, debilitation, use of special methods to heighten suggestibility and subservience, Powerful group pressures, information management, suspension of individuality or critical judgment, promotion of total dependency on the group and fear of leaving it. Designed to advance the goals of the group's leaders, to the actual or possible detriment of members, their families, or the community. What is mind control? Mind control is also known as brainwashing, re-education, coercive persuasion, thought control, or thought reform. The four key elements of control are behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions. If these four components can be controlled, then an individual's identity can be systematically manipulated and changed. Everyone is familiar with infamous cults, but there are actually more active cults operating around the world than most of us can comprehend, and every active cult seeks to recruit new members. It's an alien lifestyle for many, leading to general unawareness, misinformation, or disbelief. Most survivors rarely talk about their abuse. There are many reasons for this, but some include the fact that they'll feel blamed for staying in an abusive environment, they feel guilt or shame, they fear for their safety, and they fear they will not be believed. If you or someone you know fears for your safety and perhaps is in a cult, please see one of the references left in the description box below for how to safely try to escape. A remarkable thing about cult mind control is that it's so ordinary in the tactics and strategies of social influence employed. They are variants of well-known social psychological principles of compliance, conformity, persuasion, dissonance, reactance, framing, emotional manipulation, and others that are used on all of us daily to entice us, to buy, to try, to donate, to vote, to join, to change, to believe, to love, to hate the enemy. Cult mind control is not different in kind from these everyday varieties, but in its greater intensity, persistence, duration, and scope. One difference is in its greater efforts to block quitting the group by imposing high exit costs replete with induced phobias of harm, failure, and personal isolation. Philip G. Zombardo, PhD. Mind control is the cornerstone of RA. It is the key element in the subjugation and silencing of its victims. Mind control is designed to rob victims of their sense of free will and to impose the will of the cult and its leaders. This is achieved through an elaborate system of grooming, which is often overlooked, brainwashing, 
programming, indoctrination, hypnosis, and the use of various mind-altering drugs. The purpose of the mind control is to compel ritual abuse victims to keep the secret of their abuse, to conform to the beliefs and behaviors of the cult, and to become functioning members who serve the cult by carrying out the directives of its leaders without being detected within society at large. Essentially, these cults and their victims have created an alternate reality within our world. There is the world the general public is a part of, the above-ground world, and then there is the world most never see. The same way the majority of society uses the clearnet or the index internet, but there is a deep web of unindexed content just beneath the surface. Just because you don't personally experience something does not mean it doesn't exist. Cults, a Bloodstained History by Natasha Tormi says, Cults can hide in many places. They are so adept at blending into society and masking their true colors that often their victims do not realize that they were even in a cult until they have escaped it. Nor do they fully comprehend the severity of the brainwashing that they were subjected to until they are finally free of it. What's important to understand about cults is that most lack cultic facades. They do not appear evil or rebellious, they appear as offering something the broken world cannot give. The victim will slowly become entangled in the philosophies and the ways of the cult until the cult becomes their personality. On a larger scale, the majority of humanity holds beliefs that are induced beliefs. The powers that be, whatever it is in a particular case, saw to it that the proper belief should be induced, and people believed properly, as Charles Hoy Fort said. Cults attract victims by offering something money can't buy. Exclusivity, spirituality, knowledge, power, buying into a dream, or a society. Our brains reason, if lots of people already okayed it, and these celebrities are in it, it's gotta be okay. It's been vetted. This fallacy is very dangerous. Cults work in tiered or hierarchical structures. The cult you see from the outside is not the cult you get on the inside. For example, the Church of Scientology presents a facade to the outside world to disguise what in reality is nothing more than a cult built on mind control and destruction of the independence and self-control of those drawn into its sphere. The lawsuit states, Members are isolated from the outside world, their access to information is heavily monitored and controlled, and they are subject to physical, verbal, psychological, emotional, and or abuse and or assault. For adults, leaving organizations like this can be a financial and emotional nightmare. And children born into cults have a much more difficult time breaking free because their entire personality has been built by the world around them. Several well-known cults have been accused of ritualized abuse, starvation, and severe corporal punishment. For example, Jonestown, Nexium, Children of God, and the Branch Davidians. The largest mass suicide event in the U.S. was Heaven's Gate. It takes from eight to 18 months for a young adult after leaving a cult to recreate a sense of personal competence and to feel comfortable in making decisions. River Phoenix was caught between two cults, growing up in the Children of God cult and working in Hollywood. River's family joined the Children of God, now called the Family International, when he was three. After his parents disaffiliated from the cult, they moved to California and changed the family's last name from Bottom to Phoenix. River died at 23 of an alleged overdose after collapsing in front of the nightclub The Viper Room in West Hollywood, which was then owned by Johnny Depp on Halloween, October 31st of 1993. Family cults are the same as communal cults, just smaller in scale. Domestic 
use can sometimes fit these criteria. Small and large cults use programming methods on their members. We will be discussing the details of programming later in this series. Whether it's a small, familial, or communal cult, or a terrorist organization, if you want to ensure the longevity of a cult, you ensure the women are on board and they will instruct the children to be as radical as their fathers, or the leaders. Parents are the most important people in their children's lives. Children want to be like their parents and do what their parents do. Parents are also the most important teachers for their children. Children learn the most from their parents. Children learn things that their parents try to teach them, such as how to count numbers. Children also learn things by watching their parents and copying what they do. In this way, children sometimes learn things that their parents don't mean to teach them. Children notice every little thing. They watch their parents constantly. They learn good and bad behaviors by watching and listening and imitating. If these parents espouse the views and behaviors of a cult, the child does not grow up questioning them. They think this is normal behavior. People believe in a false doctrine because they believe in a false authority. They then internalize these false beliefs and modify their behavior accordingly, and the cycle of lies perpetuates themselves. Cult programming is prevalent throughout the world. Covens are similar to cults, but more secretive. Part of the definition of cult is to follow a religion or a semi-religious practice. The religion promoted by a cult is a deviation and sometimes even a perversion of the religions it's based on and often also of societal norms. What constitutes a cult? What are the warning signs? This overview can apply to any religious organization or group. Take a moment to read the slide. More specifically, they claim to have knowledge of the truth, but the only way to know it is to join them. You have to state you are leaving and have your name removed. The world outside of the group is a threat. You have to join certain groups or pass tests to be allowed to have more knowledge or join. You are told there is a special purpose or calling in your life and if you join the group you will be able to achieve this purpose. If you do decide to leave, they guilt trip you to try and get you to stay, or members of the group can no longer speak with you, sometimes more violent means are taken. Spiritual abuse is the use of spiritual knowledge to deprive, torture, degrade, isolate, control, or, in rare and extreme cases, even kill others. It is used by evil-minded church and cult leaders to gain advantage or exercise control over others. The type of trauma individuals experience from cults and their leaders is similar to that described by prisoners of war. Some of the methods are love-bombing new members, financial control, if a member leaves, they are shunned, and members can't question authority. If someone's entire family are members of these groups, this makes leaving a monumental undertaking. Many groups, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, use cult methodologies within their teachings and are considered to be cults by many. The methods used by these groups follow the BITE model by Stephen Hassan. The BITE model is a vehicle for understanding the phenomenon of mind control, not for assessing left or right ideologies or whether a group is benevolent or not.
For example, many people categorize the Jehovah's Witnesses as a cult for various reasons. A few are listed below. They use their own special translation of the Bible, which is different from the original texts. They're known to disown, shun, and ignore any friends and family for leaving. They believe God did not create the universe directly. Michael, the archangel, is the only thing which Jehovah created personally. Michael created everything else under Jehovah's direction. They believe that Jesus was Michael, made flesh. Michael, now called Jesus, is second only to Jehovah in power and authority. They do not believe that Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses consider Jesus as the greatest witness of all, inferior to no one except Jehovah himself. Only the 144,000 go to heaven. The rest will live forever in a paradise on earth, never meeting the person who died for them, Jesus Christ. They're not allowed to question the Watchtower's leadership or teaching. They believe salvation is impossible outside of the Watchtower. They claim you need to read the Watchtower's magazines and other material in order to understand the Bible correctly. If you don't read the Watchtower's books, you will, quote, fall into darkness. This was founded by Charles Taze Russell. He was the founder of the Watchtower Society, which subsequently became the Jehovah's Witness movement. If I were to discuss the occult roots behind Charles Taze Russell, it would be an entire video, as his beliefs are parallel to that of Freemasonry's. I encourage you to look into this yourself if you're interested. It's no surprise so many smokescreens exist around these cults, though. The leader of the anti-Masonic political party in the 1830s through the 1840s turned out to be a Mason. Another interesting topic to research is the similarities between Freemasonry and Mormonism. Just one of many examples would be to compare the text for the oaths for the first three degrees in Masonry, entered apprentice, fellow craft, and master mason, with the oaths used in the temple before 1974. Also, consider the similarities between the grips and the five points of fellowship. In The Mysteries of Godliness, A History of Mormon Temple Worship by David John Berger, on page 53, Berger places, in two columns, the Nauvoo Temple Ceremony side-by-side side with the Freemasonry rites and compares the two, so you can note the similarities and differences. Joseph Smith was a free and was into divination. He also read a lot of hermetic material, which is occult in nature. These are historical facts, not opinions. Anyone can verify this information. Masonry reveres hermeticism, particularly Egyptian hermeticism. One example would be to research Swedenborg for more info. Membership at Masonry is purposefully rampant throughout all religious organizations, but a vast majority of newer religions were begun by Freemasons whereas the older religions were infiltrated by fraternal orders. These were just a few examples of many. But if you suspect a group of being a cult, ask yourself the following questions. Does the group claim to be a Christian organization or a friend of Christianity, but their teachings misrepresent Christian theology? Most often, the doctrine of salvation by grace alone is misrepresented in a cult's teachings. Is the group characterized by authoritarianism? Are members who slightly disobey punished severely or excommunicated? Can a person think and study for themselves, or do they rely on the group's leader for all of their instruction? Is the Bible misinterpreted in the group's teaching? They may claim to interpret the Bible correctly, but does their biblical interpretation stand up under close examination? Are members of the group subject to psychological, physical, or spiritual harm? When asked, can the group provide an accurate and detailed history of the founders and origin of the organization? Do you sense intimidation or deception within the group or toward outsiders? 
is their secrecy. Fear is the number one identifying tactic. Any organization that requires members to take oaths, vows, and participate in secret rites is a cult. By definition, Freemasonry is a cult. This entire system is set up to be so well hidden that they will never be exposed. Albert Pike states in Morals and Dogma that the lower levels of Masons are deceived. The higher degrees deceive the lower degrees of Masons. The same way a cult leader and the inner group deceive the lower downs and followers. We've discussed Gnosticism in my previous videos, specifically the Mind Game series. Gnosticism hinges on the key principle that salvation is found through knowledge. The basic characteristics of a Gnostic religion include hidden knowledge, a hierarchy, which is generally divided into three basic tiers, the enlightened top one, two, or three leaders, the elect, and the general initiates. The esoteric core, or the top tier, know the purpose of the organization, their role within it, and what it must accomplish. The exoteric followers do not. And the higher someone goes up in the hierarchy, the more hidden knowledge is given. Non-cult churches have been infiltrated by individuals and cult-like groups whose purpose is to gain access to children and vulnerable adults, or to subvert the institution and replace it with its own ideologies. One example is the case of Freemasons infiltrating churches over a hundred years ago. I discussed this more in depth in an earlier video I did called An Inconvenient History.
RA, whether it be organized, religious, or satanic in nature, it takes on many forms. While adults make up a large percentage of victims, the primary targets are often children. Let's start with definitions so we're all on the same page. What is ritual abuse? The simplest definition is intentionally repeated trauma that gratifies the abuser or group. The term ritual abuse is generally used to mean repeated, extreme, sadistic abuse, especially of children, within a group setting. The group's ideology is used to justify the abuse, and abuse is used to teach the group's ideology. The activities are kept secret from society at large as they violate norms and laws. On the other hand, religious abuse can take as many forms as there are spiritual beliefs. Any faith will have people using that name in ritual abuse. I'd separate the two by saying that religious abuse doesn't have to, but it can, involve these forms, while ritual abuse has to involve those. Then there is ritualistic abuse, which doesn't have to involve an ideology, but rather the abuse happens in a ritualistic manner. If anyone or group uses an ideology to justify abuse, it's ritual abuse. Ritual abuse is a complex crime, and perpetrators are difficult to categorize. The intersection of familial abuse, torture, organized pedophilia, and cultic ritual puts such perpetrators in a unique category. Ritual abuse is associated with complex psychological diagnoses, such as complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and a spectrum of dissociative disorders, including dissociative identity disorder. Abuse is threefold, physical, mental, and spiritual. Please read the official definition of RA here. There are three classification levels for ritualistic cult-like abuse as defined by Finkelher, Williams, and Burns in their research of this type of abuse. The first level is cult-based ritualistic abuse, which includes an elaborate belief system to create a particular spiritual or social structure. Usually, sexual abuse is not the ultimate goal of the perpetrator, but it is used as a tool. The second level is a pseudo-ritualistic abuse, which involves sexual exploitation of the victim. Often the use of costumes and killing of animals are used as a way to intimidate, but are not part of the ideology of the group. The third level is a psychopathological ritualism, which is the ritualistic abuse of children as part of an obsessive or delusional belief system. Why do cults program children? The main reasons are for power, control, and to ensure the survival of the belief system and or bloodlines of the cult. What are the differences between ritual abuse and cult abuse? Though subtle, some of the main differences between ritual abuse and cult abuse is the duration, planning, control, and secretiveness of what has occurred. Ritual abuse is continuous, sadistic in its nature, linked to the belief system, doctrine of the abusers, and is often organized. Religious trauma, like that of cults, does not hold to these things. For example, a pastor may abuse a child, but it is not related to their religious beliefs. They use their position and authority to abuse. Religious abuse that is not associated with cults differs in that the individual can leave the church if they desire. While in cults or organized abuse organizations, this is often extremely difficult to do. 
Some of the similarities include having the individual indoctrinated into their belief systems through abusive means such as sleep deprivation, starvation, group thinking, exclusion, and blackmail to keep the group members from leaving. Is this a new phenomenon? How old is ritual abuse? Ritual abuse has existed for longer than the last 20 years. Survivors talk of their childhood experiences of ritual abuse occurring in the 1950s and 60s. Ritually abusive practices within families are often transgenerational, meaning they are practiced by various generations of family members over many years. Evidence derived from court cases and personal accounts indicate ritual abuse existed as far back as the 16th century. The most sensational form of spiritual abuse is satanic ritual abuse. However, it is not the most common. Satanic ritual abuse adds the satanic aesthetic, worship of Satan, the devil, various ancient gods or demons and doctrines. The term Satanism specifically refers to the worship of Satan alleged to have been practiced in France in the latter part of the 19th century, the principles and rites of the Satanists. Current popular usage of the term in the USA, however, covers a broader range of activities including 1. Formal or informal worship of Satan or entities equated with or associated with Satan or with violence, cruelty, and destructiveness. 2. The practice of black magic, i.e. the manipulations of alleged magical forces for destructive ends. 3. Preoccupation with literature, symbols, rituals, or other artifacts and activities associated with Satan or related entities, or with black magic. And 4. Attempts to enhance sexual, criminal, or other activities by participation in rituals associated with the worship of Satan or related entities, or with the practice of black magic. The term Satanism, then, popularly refers to the dark side of occultism. However, the terms malevolent occultism, use of occultism, and occult-related violence more accurately describe the range of phenomena falling under the Satanism umbrella. Satanic ritual abuse, or SRA, is often used to represent all categories of spiritual ritual abuse, which would be inspired by the desire to rob, kill, or destroy something worthwhile in a person, especially their freedom of thought. Many groups carrying out SRA do not mention Satan by that name. Now remember that cults follow their own rules and doctrine. The God of the biblical scriptures is not the one these cults are worshipping. This is done to create confusion in the victim and to venerate malevolence above holiness. SRA falls into two categories. There is the abuse where the survivor is used for ritual and spiritual reasons, and that is the only purpose the clan has for them. This type of abuse is typically done by self-identified Satanists or a group of people who follow those beliefs. This form of abuse is rare, but the most thought of and heard of. The second form of SRA is generational. This does involve programming, blood ties, and soul ties. Generational ritual abuse is extremely difficult to break away from, as the families usually have strong ties to the community. Many people have heard that SRA is a myth or a hoax. This suggestion was promoted by many in the media during the 1990s and combined two common errors. Firstly, that RA is only reported within a satanic group. And secondly, that RA simply does not happen. Evidence of RA that does not involve religious or spiritual beliefs is even more extensively documented.
Let's look a bit further. Spiritual abuse can destroy the concept of a loving God, produce estrangement from or an aversion to God, and introduce feelings of worthlessness and hatred of oneself and others in power. During and after the abuse, most victims live in a constant state of terror, mental confusion, and dissociation. RA can occur with virtually any religious ideology, such as forms of Christianity, various occult beliefs, supremacist groups, Eastern religious beliefs, and other esoteric beliefs. RA is by definition not a crime of impulse, but a crime committed with malicious forethought. Some of the most secretive groups described by survivors are the generational cults. Some scholars are convinced that such groups have existed for centuries. Usually, practitioners have been born into the belief system. Members are abused from birth and eventually may become abusers. Their cult activities may coexist with traditional worship. That is, members may publicly practice an established respected religion. The members are often well-known and respected within their larger communities. These generational cults may recruit new members, often from among teens, yet the leadership roles remain within the family. In other words, recruiting fulfills the exoteric circle, but the inner circles, the esoteric core of the organization, is reserved for the transgenerational bloodlines. Some examples of this system are used by the mafia and gangs. Please take a moment to learn about the various types of organized abuse. Links in the description below. Society's attitude towards CSA and exploitation can be summed up in one word, denial. The legal system in the United States and much of the rest of the world is not built for survivors of RA. Now, if you would like more information, I've left links in the description below for resources, evidence, as well as conviction cases. We will also continue to cover this subject in the next part of this programmed series. There are numerous documented cases of RA. There are numerous cults that exist that ritualistically abuse children and adults. Here's a quote from a news article regarding the Finders. The link to the FBI vault's documents regarding the Finders is in the description. DC police sources said some of the items seized yesterday showed pictures of children engaged in what appeared to be cult rituals. Officials of the U.S. Customs Service, called into aid in the investigation, said that the material seized yesterday includes photos showing children involved in bloodletting ceremonies of animals and one photograph of a child in chains. Customs officials said they were looking into whether a CP operation was being conducted. One reason RA may be underdetected is because the signs a survivor experiences may appear as signs of trauma. These include, but are not limited to, the child believes he or she is evil or causes others to be evil, mistrust of others outside the group, a strong fear of God, overly obedient or perfectionistic, strong feelings of shame or guilt, programmed statements or behaviors, sleep problems or nightmares. The following lists are comprised of symptoms experienced by survivors in a range of ages. In children ages 0 to 3, excessive fear, 
sleeping issues, failure to thrive, feeding issues, difficulty swallowing, imaginary friends that misbehave. Children with DID are much more likely to develop imaginary friends at a younger age, two or three years old, and often have more of them. These friends seem very real to the child with a great deal of reality confusion and persistent impersonation. The imaginary friend does not always act in the best interest of the child, and the child may be truly unable to remember misbehaviors, blaming it on the imaginary friend. Children ages 3 to 9. Fear of specific things, people, places, objects. Refusing to talk about fears. Nightmares, difficulty sleeping. Trouble eating, changes in appetite, food aversion. Shame-based behavior. Behavior regression. Attachment issues. Difficulty walking. Fearful of specific days. Sexualized behavior with ritual themes. Hiding. Self-preservation begins. Passive response to difficult situations, concrete triggers, verbal and visual cues, heightened gag reflex, fear of religious symbols, talking about people in masks or robes, use of ritual phrases in play reenactments. Ritual phrases with children will sound like rhymes. Early signs of dissociation. Frequent trance-like states, spacing out or daydreaming, as well as the child reporting that people often become angry or upset with them for unknown reasons, or the child shows dramatic changes in preferences such as food, games, or clothes, as well as changes in language, accent, or even voice or handwriting. The child may experience recurrent periods of amnesia or missing blocks of time, such as having no memory of the previous day, which may include denying behaviors that others have personally witnessed the child do. These could be negative behaviors, but may also include behaviors that the child would appear to have little motivation to deny. Additional common signs in children with dissociative identity disorder are having an imaginary friend well into school age, as well as unprovoked rages and violent behavior that may seem to come out of nowhere. I will be discussing dissociative identity disorder in the fifth part of the series. Children ages 9 to 13. Depression, nightmares, eating disorders or food aversion, suicidal thoughts or gestures, self-harm, poor social skills, overly attached or clingy, excessive sexualized behavior, resists removing clothes at appropriate times or layering of clothing, emotional shutdown, hiding, apathetic worldview, reenactment behavior as coping skills, fear of high or ritual days when it begins to get dark but act normal during the day, talk of people in masks, Bible verses are misquoted, they may talk about things inside them that are watching them, no spiritual identity when asked, secretive about family, absent from school after high days, but most people don't know the high days so they wouldn't suspect anything. Children ages 13 to 18. Thinks of the body as dirty, repulsive, or bad. Difficulty regulating emotions. No sense of safety or attempts at safety are misguided. Interpersonal relationships difficult due to trauma response. Distorted worldview. Impulsive and compulsive behavior related to the abuse or to avoid the abuse. Attempting to stay the night at a friend's house on a high day, even though they won't be allowed to do so. Self-harm will involve symbols of the occult or the cult. Reenactment of the trauma to gain control, which may present as role-playing. People will think that they are morbid with an active imagination. And adults 18 and up. Fear of intimacy or hypersexual. Flashbacks, 
body memories, fear of being in a circle or group of people standing in a circle, aversion to certain meats, or fear of the basement, small rooms, or claustrophobic. And here are some signs at any age. Artwork depicting grids, graves, cyclonic shapes, doodles of circles, occult symbols, or people in robes, masks, bonfires, distorted drawings of Jesus, and other spiritual figures and items. To conclude this video, anytime you hear about a person or group of people taking advantage of someone in a spiritual way, that's RA. Religious cults can also be used as fronts for various forms of illegal trafficking. Prevention, rescue, and raising awareness are valuable in fighting human trafficking. However, very few understand the enormity of this topic. It is not secluded to impoverished cities or third world countries. Very few are aware of the reality that trafficking involves wealthy families, celebrities, organized crime, torture, ritualistic abuse, trauma-based mind control, secret societies, religious cults, and government corruption. Extremist cults, covens, organizations, and ideologies are all responsible for RA, which leads to the severe victimization of the subjects. But what about when the brutality is carried out by one's own government? In the next part of this series, we're going to take a look at the CIA and how it executed some of the most inhumane experiments on its own citizens. Thanks for watching part two. I will see you in part three.